morning, everyone. One of my favorite parts in the liturgy is always what we call the colic, the opening prayer, the part where we all collect, the priest collects all the prayers that we come with, anything that's on our heart. The priest surrenders all these prayers to the Father, right? The opening prayer is the only, it's the principal prayer of the Mass in the Mass because it's the only place in the Mass besides the Eucharistic prayer where we use the, the full doxology, right? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. All the other, what are called the presidential prayers, and with through Christ our Lord. It's the main prayer, the opening prayer. It collects all of us together to surrender to the Father. I was praying with this this morning. It really caught my eye, right? We're in the sixth Sunday of Easter. We have two Sundays left. Next weekend will be Ascension Sunday, and then the following weekend will be Pentecost Sunday. And then we go back to ordinary time, our favorite season, right? Did you catch the collect? I love this collect. Grant, Almighty God, that we may celebrate with heartfelt devotion these days of joy. My brothers and sisters, Easter is a joy-filled time. I hope all of us are praying for joy. The Lord says, right, ask and you shall receive. Pray for joy. But also, can we make the decision to live joyfully, to choose to live joy? The joy of the gospel, the joy that we live, can be contagious and can spread to others. So, sixth Sunday of Easter, we have two more weeks of Easter, be joyful. Okay, last weekend was a beautiful weekend. We had eight new men ordained to the priesthood, which is always a great joy. If you remember Trevor Lantine, he was here as a seminarian a couple years ago. Uh, he's now Father Trevor Lantine. He was ordained last Saturday. And then on Sunday, we had all the first masses of the priests. So, I'm no longer the youngest priest in the diocese. <laughs> you can still call me a baby priest if you'd like, but other people now have that title as well. I was reflecting on the, just the joy of my own priesthood. Last Sunday, a week ago today, was my first year anniversary. It's hard to believe that I've even made it a year. It, it, it's just flown by. And I was reflecting in the joy and the gratitude of the priesthood of Christ that he's allowed me to share in. And the joy of being able to be here at this parish as well. It's been an incredible gift. And my heart is just filled with joy and gratitude for you, for this parish, for the way that you've received me. I've been spending too much time with Father Brian. <laughs> What I want to preach about today, brothers and sisters, is just one topic, and I want to do it through the lens of our first reading and our gospel today. 
The topic is this. You cannot love both the world and God. No one can serve two masters. We cannot love the world and God at the same time. We must choose one. Scripture is very clear about this. Today's scripture speaks of it. If we think of Psalm 1, the psalm of the two ways. Blessed is the man who follows the Lord, cursed the man who follows the counsel of the wicked. Think of the parable of the narrow way. The way, uh, the hard way, the arduous way, the narrow way leads to the Lord, but it's hard. And the wide road leads to destruction. It's easy, but it leads to destruction. I hope, brothers and sisters, we've all gotten to that point in our life where we see those crossroads. Do I follow the way of the world? Do I do what the world tells me to do to be happy? Or do I follow the Lord? No one can have two masters. You cannot love both the world and God. So our first reading, right, is taken from the Acts of the Apostles. This Easter season, uh, we read all from the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles, right, the Acts, literally, that they're doing, the works that they're doing after the resurrection. And so we have the accounts of Paul and Barnabas the last few, few weeks. We have uh, the different works of the Apostles, how they spread the gospel throughout all the known world at the time. Paul and Barnabas go throughout Asia Minor, through Turkey, and all these you know, cities that we hear of that, that we probably have never visited or ever even heard of. But the apostles go to spread the good news. They encounter division, they encounter persecution, but they continue to spread the joy of the gospel. Acts 15 marks a very interesting council though, right? The Council of Jerusalem, which is what we heard about today. Whenever there's a council in the church, the church asks, Holy Spirit, how are you asking us? How are you calling us to guide your church right now? Throughout the, the centuries, right, there's been 21 ecumenical councils, the most recent one being Vatican II, the council that shapes us today. This very first council, the council at Jerusalem, the apostles come together and they're asking the Holy Spirit on a specific question. The question that they were asking is, how is it that the Gentiles will be saved? Jesus came not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And they were asking, if, the, if someone who is not Jewish wants to follow the Lord, wants to follow Jesus, does he have to follow the Jewish law? Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to follow the kosher laws? Do you have to follow the Jewish law to be a follower of Jesus? And so the council comes together, all these uh, leaders of the church, the bishops, the, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they go back to Jerusalem, they come together, and they pray to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where are you guiding your church? What I love about this, right, is it shows when we trust in the Holy Spirit to guide his church, Christ promised that his church would never go astray because he built his church on who? On Peter, who is the rock. 
And so when the church comes together in union with the Holy Spirit, the church will not be guided, will not go astray. So they're at, the, they're at Jerusalem, and then they write a letter to the churches. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. What necessary things, right? If you're anything like me, the reading goes in one ear and out the other. What are the necessary things that we all must follow in order to be sure that we're, in, that we're following Jesus and his church? To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from unchastity. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. From what? From pagan worship, from meat sacrifices to idols, and from unchastity. You cannot love both the world and God. The church from the very beginning of time in her wisdom said, do not follow the ways of this world. If you do everything the world tells you to do to be happy, you will not be satisfied. But if you surrender your heart to the Lord, you will be happy. The world tells us to be rich, to live a certain licentiousness, to be free to do whatever we want. But the message of the gospel, the message of the church, says may you be poor, may you be chaste, and may you be obedient. If you want to be happy, we're called to reject the things of this world and to live poverty, chastity, and obedience. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve both the world and God. Okay, if we turn to our gospel today, and I wanted to pick this gospel, right, because Ascension next Sunday uh, normally falls on Thursday, but the church gives us the option when it falls on a Sunday to take this gospel reading. This is one of my favorite gospels. John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He prays this in the upper room. So they're at the Last Supper. And Jesus addresses the Father to pray on behalf of all the church. One of the last things he says to his apostles before he goes into his passion. And today we hear these words, I do not pray for these only, meaning his apostles. He's addressing the Father. Father, I do not only pray for these men in this room, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their word, the church all those people that they will affect, all those people that they will bring to the truth, I pray for them as well. That they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
right before he makes this prayer that all may be one, that the church may be one, right? I believe in one holy, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Jesus prays that we would be one. Right before this, he says to the Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Just as Jesus does not belong to the world, so too, brothers and sisters, if we want communion with the Lord, we also should not belong to the world. And once again, I hope we have that crossroads in our life where I come to see Lord, I want to follow the world. I want to do these things. But I know they're not going to make me happy. Give me a deeper desire to follow you. To live poverty, chastity, and obedience. When I was praying with these readings this week, the question that I kept asking myself is why is it that some people can have communion with the Lord and other people cannot. At weddings and funerals, it's always a very great and beautiful opportunity to kind of challenge people, especially people who have been away from the church. But at weddings and funerals, we often get people who aren't Catholic. One of the hardest teachings of the church that people find, why can I not receive communion? Why is it that some people can have communion and other people cannot? And I was asking myself this question because of the news. If you didn't see, Archbishop uh, Cordelione of San Francisco wrote that letter to Nancy Pelosi. You are no longer allowed to receive communion in my diocese. Why is it that some people are allowed to receive communion and other people are not? My brothers and sisters, we all desire communion. We all desire that one unity with the Lord. But here's the catch. We cannot have communion with the Lord on our own terms. We can only have communion with the Lord on his terms. Because he is God. If you've been coming to daily mass this week, we've been reading from John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. We want to be grafted into the vine of Christ. We want to be a part of him. We want to have communion with him. In John chapter 15, Jesus says to us, if you keep my commandments, then you will remain in me and I in you. If you want to have communion with me, you must keep my commandments. You must follow me. If you keep my commandments, then you will have communion with me. We all desire communion. We all desire to have communion with the Lord, but it can't be on our own terms. What does the word communion mean? If it was an all-school mass, I would ask all the school children about the Latin root of this word. It's, a, it's often commonly misunderstood. You see, communion is not common unity. Communion comes from the Latin cum munus, which means with the same mission. 
Do you want to have the same mission as the Lord? Do you want to have the same mission of the church in which the apostles we heard in the first reading go throughout the whole world to spread the good news? If we want to have that same communion, that same mission with the Lord, brothers and sisters, we're called to be grafted into him, to follow him, and to give everything to him. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve both the world and God. One of my favorite saints, St. Cyprian of Carthage, he was a third century saint. He wrote a beautiful book called On the, On the Unity of the Church. Quoting the passage today, that all may be one, he writes during a time in which there were, there were two popes. One was a rival pope, an anti-pope, and then there was the true pope. And he writes essentially to say, there is only one church. And if we're, if we're going to have communion with the church, we must follow the head, who is Peter, who is the true pope. And he gives this beautiful analogy about how a tree represents Christ and his church, and all of us are like the branches. We're called to be grafted in. And I was thinking about this image because, right, with the snow, we see a lot of down branches, a lot of down trees, power lines, etc. So I'd just like to read you part of what St. Cyprian of Carthage has said about this. The church is a unity which extends into a plurality by the widespread increase of her fruitfulness. The boughs of a tree many, but its trunk one, established in a root that holds it firm. Granted, this is an example of a multiplicity. Nevertheless, its unity is preserved in its source. Snap the bough from a tree. What is snapped off, you will not be able to produce buds. Thus also the church. She extends her boughs into the whole world with an abundance of fruitful growth. She opens wide her streams that flow forth bountifully. Nevertheless, one is her head and source, and the one mother is rich with the offspring of her fertility. From her womb we are born, by her milk we are nurtured, by her spirit we are given life. My brothers and sisters, we're called to be a part of that one true church who is Christ and his church. The world says, break off your own branch and plant it somewhere else. You will grow and bear fruit. That's a lie. If we want to bear fruit, if we want to have communion, if we want to have that true Easter joy, we're called to be in that one true church in Christ, grafted onto him. We cannot love both the world and God. The invitation, brothers and sisters, whatever is weighing on us, wherever we feel like our heart is divided, let us surrender to the Lord this morning. That those lies of the world, power, glory, honor, riches, we might reject to follow Christ with an undivided heart so that we can be poor, so that we can be chaste, so that we can be obedient.
Last point, very briefly here. We've been reading from the book of Revelation during Easter, the vision that John has of heaven. The last part of Revelation, Jesus comes to John and says this, Behold, I am coming soon. Jesus is coming to us today in this Mass. Jesus will come at the end of time. Are our hearts prepared? Are our hearts ready to receive him today, to receive him at the end of time? Are our hearts detached from this world and attached to him? Surely I am coming soon. Amen, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus.